Well, hi guys, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm your host, Lena Abujamra, and it is awesome to be back with you on another week of the podcast. On this podcast, you must know by now that we talk about hope. We believe in hope. We love hope. And we interview people who talk about hope and people who love hope. That's why we call it the Hope Podcast. And so you are going to be encouraged today. I know that. I've got an amazing guest, and we're going to talk about something that every Christian and every person in this world struggles with, though you might not be aware of it. Uh, so I can't wait to introduce you to Judy Dunnigan. She is a good friend of mine, also a wife, mother, daughter, and probably a whole lot of other titles. But um, she describes herself as a wonder seeker, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, I met her through Moody Publishers, where she's an acquisition editor uh, and oversees the uh, women's division. And she actually has a background in women's ministry. She directed a mega church women's ministry and sp- still spends a lot of time teaching women everywhere based out of Colorado, uh, which many people consider God's country. But today, um, we're going to talk about two things with Judy. And I, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. First, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about the devil. Who is he and who does he attack? And and are you at risk of being pummeled by him? Or maybe you do feel like you're in a spiritual warfare right now. Well, Judy's a sort of an expert on this. She um, is the daughter of Mark Bubeck, who wrote several prayers on spiritual warfare. But she collaborated with him on his uh, most recent um, publication of of, uh, his book. Uh, He actually has passed away. She will speak more to that. But he finished up a book called Warfare Praying. Uh, biblical strategies for overcoming the adversary. And because of her work there, she has spent a whole lot of time talking to women about this topic. So we're going to talk about that. And then she's going to also spend a few minutes at the end. If you are an aspiring writer or a writer now and you need hope, then you came to the right podcast. Judy's going to tell us a little bit about the writing industry and how to find hope in what sometimes feels like you're walking through a jungle. So Judy, so good to have you here. Thank you, Lena. It's so great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. And you said you're back home right now, though you're always up and about, but you are in Colorado Springs? Yes, I'm blessed with the opportunity to work full-time out of my home for Moody Publishers based in Chicago, but I live in Colorado and Colorado Springs area and love it. You know, I was trying to remember, when did we meet, Judy? can't remember the exact moment. I think we probably met around the time I started at Moody. I started in 2014, and I think we met soon after that at a conference. Yeah, and we've had just such a nice time getting to know each other. I consider you a friend of mine now and uh, just talk about all that God is doing in the church in America and outside of this this side of the world. But you really have a heart for the church and, and, and especially for women. And so your job at Moody is to oversee specifically books for women. Yes. Um, as you mentioned, I have been in really serving in the area of women's ministry for almost over 20 years at two different churches. And also when our family lived overseas, I'd led outreach Bible studies in my home. And in 2012 or 13, I think it was, uh, Moody contacted me about this opportunity to be the acquisitions editor for our women's line of books and discipleship resources. And I just love it. Now, now the reason that they knew about you, though, it's interesting because you, your dad is sort of a big part of your story. And I, of course, anybody who knows me knows I had a very unique relationship with my dad and and you did too. And so you worked with him. Now, your dad was a pastor and a missionary. Tell me a little bit about your dad, because we're going to talk a little bit about the work that you guys have done together. Yes, um, my dad is a pastor. He served for about 45 years in churches in the U.S. And um, 
back when he had a church actually in the Denver area. He had just graduated from Denver Seminary and had a real heart for revival. That was just a passion of his. He would often walk his church early in the morning, just crying out to the Lord for revival. And he sensed the Spirit telling him that um, he needed to understand warfare more and the battle that we face of the evil one, because the enemy is going to try to thwart uh, revival at all costs. And my father at that time didn't know much about revival, but he was obedient and listened to the Lord. And soon after that, moved to the Chicago area and connected with Warren Wearsby and also Dr. Erwin Lutzer. They used to be young pastors praying together. And he learned a lot, I know, from Warren on warfare and just started to do some research. And then he got a contract with Moody. uh, At the time, it was called Moody Press back in 1975 for his first book called The Adversary. And then his second book came out uh, about in 84, and that was called called Overcoming the Adversary. Now, you know, it's interesting. We start talking about the devil. I mean, I, you know, I, I want to kind of stop for a second. And it can sound so, and you know, it's funny because we're around the Halloween era time now. I don't know if this will probably air a little bit after that. But there's a lot going, you know, people just sort of get a little weird when, when you start talking about the devil. Sometimes, you know, people who aren't familiar with biblical language, it can sound sort of like, like, imaginary but but really tell us a little bit about the christian perspective of of the devil i guess and 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 really we 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 approach this topic prayerfully because we really do recognize that there are spiritual forces that are real in this world but just explain who's the devil and who does he attack well the bible is very clear about the devil and that um, he's a fallen angel and um he has a lot of power we're told he's the father of lies he's the accuser But what I love to teach and what my father focused on was our victory in Christ to overcome the evil one. A talk I give often is titled Living in the Victory Already Won for Us. Because when Jesus Christ died for us on the cross, when he rose again, and then I also like to talk about the ascension. When he ascended, we're told he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and that he had all authority and victory over the evil one. And because we are his, if we're followers of his, that victory is on us. We um, live under that because of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. I think there's kind of two extremes when people talk about warfare. You have the extreme where Christians don't want to talk about it because they think if they think too much of about Satan and his power and the way he can attack us, then um, they're just going to call more attention to themselves, almost like giving the enemy too much power. But then you have on the other spectrum, those who see the enemy behind everything and blame him about everything. The the battle is real. We're told that in um, God's word. And um, I think it's important, like First Peter 5, 8, and 9, we're told to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. And I, there's a quote from my father's book I love about the roaring lion. It says, Satan roars to make us afraid and thus more vulnerable, but our purchase right is the courage to resist him. And that's what I want to focus on is what Jesus Christ purchased for us because of him and his resurrection, like I said, and his ascension and his death, of course, we have victory over the evil one who roars. Do you you think Satan attacks Christians more than non-Christians or do you think he has equal opportunity? Oh, I'd say equal opportunity. I do really feel like he's been on the war path 
coming after Christians. Christian marriages are a threat to him. Those who are walking with Christ are. Um, but I, I really love to look at the victory that we have. I think right. in a very important passage is in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, that talks about the battle we face, but more importantly, about our victory in Christ and the armor. And I think it's very important to understand the armor. Well, I mean, when you think about the, the issues that Christians, I mean, I mean, I think it's evident when you get into any kind of narrative of scripture that there's sort of the scheme of, you know, even early on, Adam and Eve in the garden, and then the serpent, you know, Satan comes and, you know, it all starts there. And then Jesus, as soon as Genesis 3 proclaimed, or God proclaims that Jesus is going to be born of a woman who's going to defeat the serpent. So this thread of this warfare, you know, is, is scripture. Again, your book is Warfare Praying, which is so, so interesting. But but really the attack on, so the, Satan is out to destroy Christians. We get that or, or anything that's against Jesus, really. But now you've got like, like when I think about battles in the Christian's life. And and I think this is sort of common teaching in the church. You think about the three areas where Christians are attacked and fall, the flesh, the world, and the devil. You've heard that. I think you're Mm-hmm. The first chapter in Warfare Praying sort of addresses that. How, how important is it for a Christian to recognize where the attack is coming from? Or is it less important to, to be like, okay, today the attack is coming through my flesh versus this is Satan who's trying to control me? Is it less important to see where the cause is and more important to focus on victory? Or is there a benefit in understanding where this spiritual attack is coming in one's life? That's a great question. And, you know, I'm all about scripture. And I thought I would just read these verses from Ephesians 6 because it's so clear about the battle that we're facing. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God." I really see this as a battle cry. You know, Paul was writing to the Ephesians. There was a lot of spiritistic things going on in Ephesus. And you can just tell he felt such an urgency to warn the believers about this battle. And the battle cry, I mean, from these verses is be strong, put on the full armor, take your stand, stand your ground, do everything to stand. And that can sound quite daunting and as if it's just up to us. But what the key phrase I think in these verses is be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The key is that it is his power and his strength. And verses like Colossians 2, 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And then 1 John 4, 4, "You you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And what I see about this armor, all these different pieces, is that it's really who God is. I believe it's like his names and his attributes that cover us. Mm. It's his salvation. It's his righteousness. And I believe the shield is his faithfulness, which we're told in Psalm 91 and other passages. Um, And so just this victory 
call that we can have of over the enemy. And this also applies to our flesh. I believe and my dad's book is very clear on that. The battle we face with the world, the flesh and the devil. And he looks a lot at the flesh as well and how through the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, how we can overcome um, temptation and sin in our lives. And I see the armor as protecting that as well. One thing that's very interesting, I counsel a lot of people, uh, biblical counseling and some women who may be struggling with purity in their lives or perhaps their husband and there's been a breakthrough in their marriage and they're having all this freedom and victory. And then all of a sudden they feel like they're under it more from the evil one. And I do know that the enemy steps up his battles whenever there's movement towards freedom. But the key is to really stand in that victory of who we are in Christ and his covering of us. I think it's such a key. I I think that a lot of Christians, myself included, sometimes we miss the fact, like we get so defeated in our lives by scenarios or discouragement, which actually one aspect of this question is, what are the common ways that Satan attacks? I would like to address that in a second. But also, I think we can get so defeated by it. It's almost like we miss the fact that we're in a battle. And then we just think, oh, it's me. I'm just such a loser. I can't get, you know, I can't seem to ever be a good Christian. And rather than than getting this hope and courage to fight what is already for what is already ours or from a place that's already ours, we find ourselves more suck, stuck and sucked into this pit of defeat and and sort of like this 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 bottomless pit of self-pity and and failure and do you see that a lot like when you're counseling with women Mm -hmm. i do and that's really why i'm more and more passionate about this teaching and god's timing has been so great with my dad's book warfare praying and like i said at the beginning i'm teaching on living in the victory already won for us because so often we live such such defeated lives even knowing what Christ has purchased for us. An example of that in my own life is I've struggled with fear and anxiety my whole life, ever since I was a little girl. And I've come a long way with the Lord's help and, and had victory in that. And I'm not saying that all fear or anxiety is sin. Sometimes it's a way a person is wired, but I think where the enemy can get a foothold or where we can give him too much power is when we're overcome by those different things that plague us. And our family lived overseas years ago in Beijing, China, when my girls were really young. They were only toddlers. And my youngest was struck with just a really scary illness. And I thought we might lose her. And I was so overcome with fear that I know the enemy was taking over where I couldn't sleep. And it was, I was just overwhelmed. And I rallied my father and my husband Mm -hmm. and others to pray over me. And I also just ran to scripture And um, Psalm 91 especially became very precious to me during that time. I I see Psalm 91 almost like a a warfare psalm. Mm. It it talks so much about our victory in Christ and that he's our refuge and and protection. Well, I I mean, I agree with you that fear is a common, you know, area of, of attack, I guess. Would you... I think once I read in Streams in the Desert, one of the devotionals that I read, um, I've read it for so many years, you'd think I'd know the whole thing by heart. But but I think one of the entries talks about like the two most common ways that Satan tries to, tries to attack Christians is through through doubt and discouragement. Mm-hmm. You see a pattern like, like okay, warn the woman who's listening, like here's three or four, the most common ways. I would imagine sexual areas would be a very common way. I mean, is there, is there any data, I mean, from your study of this, where you think this is how Satan attacks, or is it just always sort of a, you know, certainly the pattern in Genesis three doubt comes to mind, doubting God's goodness. What, what do you see as common um, areas that, that he gets Christians? 
Well, I think another way could be with our thought life where we're not keeping our thoughts captive to truth. And that would come with some doubts. And as you mentioned, the goodness of God, that is something I've seen with a lot of uh, women, especially that I've counseled. I remember one woman I counseled was um, devastated by um, infidelity in her marriage. And it was like she was blaming God more than her husband even and just really question his goodness. And that was escalating to the point where she was ready to leave her faith. And I believe the best way to combat that is, again, is with scripture. Our Lord Jesus Mm -hmm. modeled that better than anyone when the enemy was coming at him in the wilderness and he was tempting him with those many different areas. And um, what was amazing is Jesus, all he had to come back at the enemy was with truths of God's word. That was like he was wielding God's sword of the spirit against the enemy and his lies. And I think that is one of the best ways we can do that. I know in that season in my life where we were just hit with one thing after another in our family, I won't go into the long list, but it, it was a season in my life where I wasn't in the word and I was really giving in to a lot of negativity in my thought life um, towards the Lord and others. And finally, I just cried out to the Lord and I started to dwell in his word more and I would journal promises and truths and really fight the good fight with the sword of the spirit against the lies of the enemy. I mean, so let's move into that. I, I think you've been chomping in a bit to talk about that. And, and I, I appreciate that because I think that you're right. I mean, there, there's an undue amount of time where we can talk about how we've brought, we're brought down versus the victory. But I think that I, I wanted to sort of cover a little bit of that, but moving into what you're describing. I mean, a person has been in the habit for five, 10 years, 15 years of you know, sort of being walking sort of blindfolded in the Christian life, you know, these principles sound familiar, but, but they're not living them. Right. And so almost like somebody who's never exercised, who all of a sudden is like, you're telling them there's this program or whatever you want to call it in the Christian life. And how do you do it? How do you practically go from negativity, you know, become a victim of, of attack and, and sort of this defeatism. And I think it can get to the point where a Christian can become you know, you, you go through this, I see this a lot where people are like, they confess, they repent, and they fall back into sin. So it can become so defeating. How do you practically now move into victory? And say, like, what is the magic formula? How many days does it take before you go, well, I'm living in it now. Like, how do you experience this victory? Walk us through the one-on-one. Like, somebody's listening right now. They want to get on this program. What does that look like? Well, I'd like to encourage them to get my dad's book, for one, because he spells that all out. I can't really walk through all of those steps. He has what he calls the steps of freedom, which are very powerful. They've also been in other books by authors like Neil Anderson and Jim Logan and Moody Publishers has a lot of those resources. So I'd recommend that they um, look up Mark Bubeck. His last name is B-U-B-E-C-K. We're going to give away some books too. Uh, We'll put something. Warfare Freeing is the one you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But on a practical side, I'll, I'll just tell you what I've counseled people and what God has led me to. And some of my darkest hours when the enemy seemed to be winning the day or my flesh, it's just having a desperation for him and crying out to him. And that's what I had to do. I, I finally said, I know there's more of you, Jesus. I'm not spending enough time with you. And I'm not talking about the good girl to-do list to say, oh, I had my quiet time. This is really running to his word. The word is a key and and key passages are 
many of the Psalms, Psalm 91 I mentioned, Psalm 139, which gives our identity. Ephesians, the whole book of Ephesians is profound. Um, the first chapter of Ephesians tells us, uh, it's all about our identity. And the second chapter talks about our position in Christ, how we're seated with him in the heavenlies, which is, gives us all the authority over the evil one. And then that book, Ephesians crescendos to Ephesians 6. Um, and it really, this is what makes the enemy flee, is going back to the word and memorizing, dwelling in it. I, I love to read God's word out loud. Um, there's also prayers that my father has written. Sometimes you feel like you can't even pray because you're under it. And right. dad's books include warfare prayers. There's another prayer by John Eldridge that's profound, just full of scripture, the armor, how to pray it on. As you read it, it's like you're wielding the sword of the spirit and that his prayer freedom is found on their website and also his book, Waking the Dead. And that's a prayer that my husband and I still often read. We would read it when our girls were still home. We're now empty nesters. And we'll read that prayer. He'll read a paragraph and then I will. And it's, again, it's like you're just reading God's word. I mm -hmm. think um, worship music is a key. Um, there was a season in my life, as I've mentioned, that I was just so under it that I couldn't do much, but I'd fall asleep at night to keep my thoughts captive to truth listening to worship music. And I'll never forget one of the times I just cried out to the Lord before going to sleep. I said something along the lines of this wasn't supposed to be my story. Mm. And I was kind of sassy with the Lord. And I put my earphones on and put a new um, worship CD on. And right in the middle of this contemporary worship CD was an old hymn, Blessed Assurance. And so I had just said, this wasn't supposed to be my story. And then I play this music and over me was being sung those old words from that hymn, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of the spirit, washed mm. in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. And it was like the Lord just confirming that's your story, not mm. these other things that are you're letting define you. And so God's word, worship music is key. And um, journaling has helped as well, just pouring out a heart in a journal through um, just writing down scriptures that you're using in your prayer life and pouring out your heart to the Lord. How much does Christian things. community play a part in this? I think, of course, it is important in um, community. Uh, it's been something that's been part of my life. I, I encourage your listeners to have a prayer partner, someone who holds you accountable in terms of what you're going through and will pray with you. Um, God brought one into my life when I needed her the most. And then studying God's word together. Lena, I know the resources you have with your Bible studies, your teaching, this podcast is, is creating community and was such important messages. So appreciate your ministry. Well, and I think, I think a lot, I mean, I, culturally speaking, I mean, stepping back and sort of your impression going around to churches. And I, do you feel like overall in the United States, that the church, big C, um, how are Graham, Graham on a scale of one to a hundred, how are they doing in walking victoriously in Christ? Would you say in the Western church specifically, do you feel like we're walking sort of distracted from going even back to the concept of, the hunger that your dad had for revival and sort of this, this intensity of knowing that you, you need to understand this, uh, this part of, of warfare in order to see revival. Where are we at in the United States? What's your take on it? That's a great question. 
I think the answer needs to be balanced because I have seen God working, uh, raising up prayer warriors, probably like never before. Mm -hmm. I just was at a conference that Nancy DeMoss-Wolomo puts on called Revive, and there were thousands of women there. And and after that, they did a call to seek revival in your personal life. I, I just spoke at a women's retreat um, in the South where the women are so on fire and so burdened to go deeper with the Lord and for revival. And I'm seeing it a lot, but then on the other side or the other extreme, as you know, Lena, there's a lot of, lot of watered down teaching happening where it's more about um, pseudo truth and um, not really going back to the core of God's word and to doctrine really. Did your dad ever see revival in his lifetime? His, his heart's cry was for revival. Did he ever see what he prayed for? Yes, I know he did. I mean, his first church was in the early 50s, and there were a lot of revivals happening. I know there was a movement in Europe. I can't name them right now. But his church, his first church in Denver, really saw revival. And then um, he had the opportunity to speak in Eastern Europe, as mm -hmm. did I. I worked at a mission where we went into Romania back in um in the mid eighties when it was under communism. And if you read about what happened in Romania with the revolution in 89, much of that was due to revival. It's an amazing story. And dad went in a few years before that. And I remember he was so touched by really an underground church where the people were coming under threat of being arrested or even death and just swarming there hmm. to listen to God's word and staying for hours and worshiping. And so he did get glimpses of it. I think he would have loved to seen a revolutionary revival, as we call it. But um, Lord took him home about two years ago, and we just continue to pray for a revolutionary revival to uh, sweep our country and our world. What does that look like? Help us dream. What does that look like in the United States? What does revival look like? Well, I think a desperation for God and his word and a hunger. I think um, what we're seeing on the internet in terms of the porn industry and all of that, just being turned upside down, we'd love to see that. But I think it really starts with the hearts of Jesus' followers, where he is the core and they are deeply in love with him and his word and desperate for his word and um, families being restored. But it really, I think it's important to think of what it means for us just in our own lives and to cry out and pray for it. I think a hunger for prayer. I think I know that Satan tries to keep us from prayer. Um, I'm one of those that I teach a lot on prayer and teach Bible studies, but prayer can be elusive, even though I'm passionate about it and teach mm -hmm. on it. And it makes them very nervous when God's people pray. My mom always thinks Jesus is coming back soon. And she tells me that all the time. And I, I appreciate her sentiment. I think a lot of Christians have, say that, especially as they consider the cultural dynamic right now. Do you see that too? Or do you believe, I mean, where that balance of oh, things are so bad, Jesus, that's the only next hope. Or do you see seasons of revival coming? I mean, I know none of us can predict when the Lord's coming back, but do you feel like this culture is in a place where we've become sort of in the, such a dark state that we can't turn back? Or do you believe in your heart that God would still bring an awakening here? 
Oh, I do believe he wants to bring in an awakening. I mean, that's our heart's cry, isn't it? For mm. any time we teach or, or speak or lead worship, um, that his spirit rains down. That is his heart. Uh, but it takes us being willing and um, open to really changing. Um, right. So, yeah. I do enjoyable for a season. I think that's, you know, mm-hmm. part kind of a distinctive of, the season of revival. And I think that's hard. I think we say like, well, get pick on, you know, we say we're not addicted to things like say our phones. I'll give an example. I mean, I know everybody needs phones, but, but, but now tell somebody to, to get rid of it for 24 hours. And it's like anaphylactic shock. Like, I think, I think we're easy on saying things that practically speaking, even as followers of Jesus, we might, I think, I think he puts us to the test and I'm not sure that we're always as willing to walk through the things that we say we would, we will do it. I think, I think we'd get there if we would, really live out of what we say we believe. I think that revival would, would come starting in the church. I really think that's where it would happen. But but it does take a certain level of resolve, I think. Of course, yeah. I mean, it takes discipline, and we don't love that word because that sounds just hard, kind of well, legalistic. Even, even what you're describing about, about um getting in the word and, and meditating on scripture and finding a prayer partner, like, like these are disciplines. I mean, the question is, are you committed to, to, to finding that freedom? Like we talk about freedom from sin and freedom from failure and negativity and not fail, failure can be used by God. I get it. But like that weight that you, we feel when there's a spiritual attack on our life, but, but I almost feel like we want a magic pill, you know, like an Amazon prime sort of revival pill that would just, fix everything and we're hoping that some little grandma's praying somewhere for it and boom it'll happen in the u.s but but really it takes all of uh, the followers of jesus to say you know we're going to cast our net and follow and and give up those things that might be separating us from him and i, I think that's a hard call yeah i think that i think the key right now is to really for your listeners and for you and me is to make it about our own hearts and i know how faithful our god is and that's my story when I cried out to him in that season, and I knew I was getting dried up, I was actually in a very busy season of leading ministry. And you know what that's like, where you're more busy serving him, um, that you don't even have time to be alone with him, or that you're preparing a message or teaching more to impress the people who are going to be listening than spending that time with him. And I remember we had several campuses at our church in the Detroit area, and I was trying to get to the other campus to make an announcement about the women's Bible studies we were offering that fall. And I found myself leaning forward with tears in my eyes. I didn't even know why. It wasn't even a message I heard. It was just in the hurriedness. And I all I said I had for him, and I was by myself, so I prayed out loud. And I said, Jesus, I miss you. I am so busy serving you that I'm out of breath serving you. And, um, but I know there's more of you. I want to go deeper. And I prayed what I call a dangerous prayer to fully capture my heart, no matter what it takes to make me desperate for him. And he was faithful in that. It wasn't immediate, but, um, part of that was from some of the hard things he started bringing into my life that made me more desperate for his word. And there, there's a verse in Psalm 119 that goes along the lines of, um, if it wasn't for your precepts or your mm. word, I would have died in my affliction. And I, and Lena, I never understood that verse until that season that he took me into. And I was desperate for his word. And I can tell you, in spite of the hard things I had to walk through to get there, it was so worth it. And I would sign up for it again because of who he became mm. and his word. And then from that, 
the Lord has opened doors to teach. And, and the sweet story with my dad and his book is in 2012, I was visiting him in Phoenix and I said, Daddy, if Moody ever wants to update your book, The Adversary, I'd love to help you with it. Keep in mind, it came out in 1975. Well, he said, well, they just contacted me. This wow. is 2012. They had just contacted him. And i that's where you know it's a God story. And the reason I wanted to help him with it is part of my story is in that first book. And I was only about 14 when he wrote it. And now I'm almost 60. And so that many years later, I can testify that the teaching on how to stand firm in your faith and how to wear your armor securely, knowing that it's his covering of you and not to be defeated, to live in the victory, that he's won for us works. And my husband and I could testify, we pro- we wouldn't still be married if we hadn't understood these principles because of what God's done in our marriage and through some difficult things as our girls were growing up. And um, so just that intimacy with the Lord to just cry out and say, I want more of you. And then, then it was a prayer I'd pray over my husband and me and our children to fully capture our hearts no matter what it takes. And then from that, hopefully, we're part of the Great Commission where we're going out and making disciples who are also living in that victory. I think that prayer is such a great challenge to challenge the listeners now. Lord, make me desperate for you no matter what, which is the prayer that you prayed. Uh, I really agree. I think that it is an individual thing. And and then it becomes a church thing. <laughs> it becomes a cultural thing. And and um, I pray that listeners will do that. I, I hate to just change tones for a minute, but I do want to spend some time. I promised early on that we would talk a bit about writing. And initially when I wanted to have you on, Judy, I really wanted to sort of give, I get a lot of emails from people who are in the writing process or seeking a a path in women's ministry. You've been a women's ministry director and and you now work with a lot of churches. And I think there's, there's a lot of discouragement along the way, which I think you've hit on a lot of that in terms of that balance of seeking God versus working for God. But really, can you, um, Let's start with this. Do I want to spend a few minutes, like maybe ten minutes or so, encouraging the writers and the and the ministry, you know, workers, the women who are looking for that in particular. I know there are some men listening, and maybe men writers too. But I know your your areas is regards to women. Um, what what would it, like as a general rule? What would you tell a discouraged writer right now? Before I start picking into that a bit more, just as sort of overall, how would you encourage a discouraged writer? That's so my heart um, because. I think so many people who love to write that that love and that dream to be published goes way back mm. probably to even childhood and a lot of ident- of their identity be- can be caught up in that. And I think it's more discouraging even today because of the focus on a large platform um, because of the internet and all the social media. And I meet with aspiring authors all the time, especially at writers' conferences where they can come and pitch their book to an acquiring editor or they do it with a literary agent. And they could get quite discouraged because they have about 15 minutes to give this pitch. And so at those writers' conferences, I've given a workshop that I keep getting invited to teach Mm -hmm. again. And it's basically along the lines of how to pursue the dream to get published while surrendering the dream. Oh, that's good. And you have that recording? I, yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's so important because with our identity getting caught up in it so much, it can become an idol. And I've seen that. And um, I understand that. And um, I think one of the best examples of someone I've met is the first book I acquired at Moody, written by Heather Holloman, 
called Seated with Christ, Living Freely in a Culture of Comparison. And I use that book a lot in my workshop. And Heather was an author, gifted author, who really wanted to write fiction. She teaches at Penn State Creative Writing. It's in her DNA, and she's great at it. But she kept getting rejections because of her platform. Mm. And she was, and she's also works with crew and she was preparing a talk to give to leadership and was very angsty about it again, about performance and, and the Holy spirit whispered over her while she was trying to prepare this excellent talk she was going to give to leaders that she did not live as someone who was seated with him. And this is all based on Ephesians two, where we're told that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And so her book looks at all the different tables that you've wanted to be invited to. And for her, it was being published table was one of them. And um, so she had a proposal on this idea seated with Christ and then kept getting rejected because only because of her platform. So in October, I think it was 2014, she wrote a letter of surrender to the Lord, surrendering the dream to get published, saying she was still going to use her gift of writing through her blog through guest blogging, through her teaching, but she truly surrendered it. And only God knew that her agent was such a fan of that proposal that he sent it out to other publishers who he had not yet sent it to. And one of them was Moody. And I had just started my job a few months before getting that. And like I said, it's the first book I acquired. And that her book, Seated with Christ, came out exactly a year after she wrote that letter of surrender. Mm -hmm. So I think a real key is a surrendered heart, but I think also to do the hard work. And for aspiring authors, I really recommend going to a writer's conference. There's excellent ones all over the country, Christian writer's conferences and for both men and women. And some of the ones I've been to, one is Speak Up with Carol Kent, which is in um, Grand Rapids. And when you go to these conferences, you have the opportunity to get equipped excellent workshops, there's worship, there's inspiring speakers, and then you get to pitch your book ideas, like I said, to literary agents and acquiring editors and marketing people. And then also Proverbs 31 ministry, Lisa Turkers has She Speaks in the Charlotte area. Those are in the summer. But like I said, if they just Google it, they'll be able to find conference in their area. There's I think there's excellent. another good one that Margaret Feinberg and Jonathan Merritt for a non-female only, you know, and probably my guess is um, Don Miller has um, his story brand. Yes. Do you think people should write what they're passionate about or write what the culture is passionate about? I'm all about writing what you're passionate about. That's what we look for in the proposals. You can tell um, if the author is passionate about it. It needs to be part of their DNA. And I think, um, especially for their first book, it needs to be where the Lord's leading them. I see it as a calling mm -hmm. on their lives and a, really a discipleship tool. It's another workshop I've, I've, I've given to look at your writing, or if you want a speaking ministry and God's gifted you that way as part of the great commission of making disciples who make disciples. And um, I think the key is to follow his lead. I always say, and I say this over authors I work with, I, my prayer is that his voice will be the loudest over them rather than all the clamoring that comes at them, even for platform building and such. And he may open a door for a book that's going to sell thousands, or it may be a self-published book like my friend who did that with her memoir and her kids, her adult kids gave her 
a launch party, a book party, and she's selling it on her own when she speaks at small churches. Right. And that's what God had for her. Right. And I think that's important as well. Well, we, we do have such a market right now that really allows anybody to do anything, but sort of, I think you go back to this, you know, even when we're talking about the first part of the conversation, spiritual opposition and warfare praying, and now we're talking about this, like such a big part of all of this is listening to the Lord and, and having that time where you really hear his guidance and his leading. And I, I think, you know, because I think we think, oh, if I just get a, a book deal that everything's going to be fine if you're if you're a, an aspiring writer or if you are looking for a ministry career, if I just get hired by church, or if I just get a speaking invitation, but it never ends. And then Satan can come in, I mean, just to tie up the conversations and get you in a state of defeat over this like persistent, you know, um, the cycle, I guess. It's just a cycle of, of, of performance, if not. I mean, it doesn't end. I mean, you might publish a book and never publish another one, or you might be like a Max Lucado, who I think I think he presented his first book, I, I want to say, to 25 publishers. I mean, there's so many stories like that. And then eventually yeah, they I, become, you know, these well-known names. And so you can Google that and, and be encouraged by that. And so, but it's become, like, I think in the moment when you're battling it, whether it's, again, your own expectations or Satan playing on those things, it can really deter you and derail you. Some people who might have started up writing, maybe you're listening right now and you used to write and you no longer write because you thought, well, I'm not going to do it because it's not amounting to anything. But really, Judy, I think you would agree. Is a writer a writer just because they get published? No, no. <laughs> I know, I, I have a conversation sort of suddenly, the question, but, but right? I mean, a writer is a writer no. just because they get published. If, yeah. If God's put it in your heart to be a writer and it makes your heart come alive and you have a message to share, you write. I think about like, like Martin Spurgeon or one of the greats who after age 70 set about to go all over the world and preach the gospel. I mean, most of us think after 70, I watch people like Kay Arthur who is on this, on this podcast. Like we are so quick to limit, I mean, me at the top of that line of being like, oh, I'm going to be 47, I'm 48 next year. Like it, my days are numbered. And, and yet, you know, God does his best to work with the most seasoned saints. And I see that and it's so encouraging. Last year, you and I were conference we heard joe briscoe who's well into her 80s and and mm-hmm. just god using these women mightily and i think you know there's sort of no time limit on what god can do and when he can do it is there no i mean you think of oswald chambers i he was more of a teacher and his wife would transcribe his messages and i think it was even after he was gone he was like 40 that he was, dies of an appendectomy yeah. at 40 it's a crazy story yeah. But my utmost for his highest is one of the classic devotionals. It sold yeah. hundreds of thousands that came after his death. And that song I mentioned of um, Blessed Assurance, that was Fanny Crosby, who wrote 8,000 wow. hymns. So she was a lyricist. She wrote, she was a poet. And, um, you know, she didn't set out to be famous. It all came out of a heart of wanting to serve her Lord. And that, like my dad, I mean, he, he, didn't grow up wanting to be an author, but God led him to write these books on our victory in Christ. And I, I think it's so important to see it as a journey. She was blind him. too, remember? I mean, she was blind. Oh, she had a hard life. She was blinded as an infant. And then she did get married and had one child who died. And uh, she had a very hard life. But if you Google her, uh, some of her quotes are just unbelievable. Right. And, and the number um, of hymns that you'll recognize, like they're just greats of, you know, and people don't sing as many hymns now, but just crazy productive and hymns that most Christians really, if they don't know them by heart, they've, they've heard them and, and they may be familiar with it. And wow, what an encouragement all of these stories are. But, you know, there is something as we wrap up, I mean, there is something to be said about reading biographies, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite biography, Judy? One right now is Susie. 
on um I can't even think of it. My mind went blank. Wesley, um, what about you? Do you have a favorite? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, you've mentioned some of them. I, I, I'm, I'm inspired by stories of, of struggle, stories of defeat that have turned into strength. So, so Oswald Chambers is somebody who, who I've admired so much because of sort of this, this idea. I think we have this idea of what value looks like. And here this guy dies. You know, he's serving the Lord and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And he dies at 40 and you kind of think, what, 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 what a waste. And he didn't even write a book. And yet, like you said, I've read his devotional for the past 20 years. And I think, like, man, it's just crazy how God does that. And so I've read a lot of biographies, Hudson Taylor and Amy Carmichael. And, of course, Elizabeth Elliot is a huge influence in my life. And so so many stories. David Brainerd, he was 29 when he died. Like, these stories just, just encourage me to just, I tell you, not even reading. If you're not a reader, you can watch them. I've, we've watched a lot of them with my five-year-old nephew. You have these children's versions of biographies that you can watch on either right now media or just you can get them on, on Netflix, I think, or wherever. The Christian biography series. Yeah. And I think they're just simple, but they're a reminder that God works in mysterious ways. Right. They're so inspiring. And yeah, the book I was talking about is Susie, and it's Charles Spurgeon's wife. It's fairly new with Moody. The uh, subtitle's The Life and Legacy of Susanna Spurgeon. Wow. And it's just called Susie, and it's done really well. You know, someone I rediscovered was Watchman Nee oh, recently. Right. Uh, yeah, he was uh, in communist China and died in a labor camp. He was in a labor camp for about 20 years, but before he was thrown into the labor camp, he had done a lot of teaching, and most of his writing is just people who transcribed his teaching. Um, but I was just in my daughter's home. She just had a new baby in April, and my son-in-law was reading some of Watchman Knees. And the one I discovered is Sit, Walk, Stand. It's not a biography, but it's just a little book on the book of Ephesians. It's a tiny book and so rich. And one of my favorite quotes I pulled from that for the workshop I just taught on warfare, I wanted to read. It's short, but I, it's along the lines of what we've been talking about. And keep in mind, Watchman Nee was thrown into a communist labor camp in 52 and died there 20 years later. And this is what he said. God has already conquered. He has given us his victory to hold. In Christ, we are conquerors, nay, more than conquerors. In him, therefore, we stand. Thus today, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. We do not fight in order to win, but because in Christ, we have already won overcomers are those who rest in the victory already given to them That's by awesome. their God. To think that, you know, was published so many years ago and encouraging me today. And that also just happened with my dad's book, Wolf of Warfare Praying. And this is along the lines of um, discipling through your writing. He wrote a story in Warfare Praying about uh, going hunting when he lived in Colorado spring in Colorado, in our Colorado mountains. And, um, he almost died. He got lost. And it's a beautiful story. You have to, people who get the book have to read it. It's an illustration of the helmet of salvation. But what struck me is as I worked on that book with him, we refreshed that book, Warfare Praying. So um, I that story just struck my heart and I used it. I read it over my father while he was in hospice. It's a story, a beautiful story of um, Jesus coming mm -hmm. for us and rescuing us. And as I was reading it over him, some 40 years later, after he wrote the first book, the book that it first appeared in, 
um, there were tears in my eyes and also in his as encouragement over those last few days Mm -hmm. before he died. And only God knew that when he wrote it as a young pastor living in the Chicago area, and he gave that as an illustration that God was going to use it this many years later to encourage us in a really dark hour. And that's just the heart of our God and the power of the written word. And so again, to encourage those aspiring authors to keep writing, even if it's in your journal that you're going to have that you'll give Mm -hmm. to loved ones one day long after you're gone. How can people reach you? Yeah. You have a website. Yes. My website is Ju- my name, judydunnigan.com. I spell the name J-U-D-Y-D-U-N-A-G-A-N.com. And I blog there just a couple times a month. And the theme is Wonder Seeker. And I'm also writing a lot about leaving a legacy mm-hmm. of prayer because that's the hair. And you travel around and do workshops, maybe sometime or the retreats. I hope that the listeners can find out more about that. Maybe they can contact you on your website to see if you're coming to their area. And it's been so fun just talking, picking your brains yeah, on this you. topic that is part of every Christian's life every single day. And I believe with all my heart that anyone who's listening who is stuck in a cycle of hopelessness already has what they need for victory and, and just simply needs to get your dad's book for some help but also just know that you're already you're already got the tools that you need god wants to free you from from the pit that you're in and so really want to speak that over the listeners we're going to give away some of those books warfare praying let's give away three of them uh, email me at lena at livingwithpower.org uh, three people, if you are feeling like you really could use some help in this area, please send me an email, lena at livingwithpower.org. Judy, it's been so fun. Lena, thank you so much. I've loved this yes. time together. And so we will catch up, you and I, uh, soon in person, I hope. And in the meantime, those of you who are listening, we'll be back next week. 